0: You're listening to How I Sell, a podcast built for early career sales professionals. You'll hear stories, best practices, and guidance from top sales leaders on what it takes to become a sales superstar. Today's episode is made possible by Ramp Careers. Ramped is on a mission to build the next generation of workforce-ready talent. Joining us today is Keith Abbe. Keith is the VP of Sales at Miller Media 7. Keith's a seasoned sales leader, having held senior roles at Gannett, NCR, Restaurant.com, and Cisco. Thank you, Keith, for joining us bright and early on a Monday.
1: Well, I appreciate it. Thank you for the, uh, the invitation.
0: Amazing. For those who don't know you, Keith, um, you know I know you and I have done a little bit of talking um, earlier this morning, but for those that don't know you, who is Keith Opp?
1: Uh, Keith Op has been uh, around the block a few times in sales, um, had my knuckles uh, beaten up a little bit and uh, my ear has taken back a few inches. Um, but I've learned a lot over the years. And you know, I, we talked early this morning that, um, you know, at this point in my career now, now that I've gone through, you know, starting out in sales and then growing to a, a senior level, and that I'm also a person that gives back. You know, I talk about owning a horse stable and having a uh, physical therapy program for children with disabilities. To me, that's that's the pinnacle of your career, where you've taken, you've learned a lot of things along the way, you've been successful with it, and now it's a point in my career where I want to give back as well.
0: That's incredible, Keith. And, you know, I, I know you shared some of that with me, but I'd but I love to, uh, you know, I'd love to learn a little more about, about that side of your life. I think it's uh, it's important for folks to, uh, to know about all the wonderful things that you know everyone else is doing to add some impact uh, and make the world around them better. Tell us a little more about uh, about the stable and about the program.
1: I'll, I'll blame the stable on my wife. That uh, <laughs> when uh, I was traveling extensively in my sales career, my wife took my children to a, an art festival, and uh, within the center of this art festival were the horse rides, and so my wife put my oldest daughter on a horse. And I think she was five or six. And then from that point till today, uh, I have been in the horse business because shortly after coming back from that, we had to start the riding lessons. And then after the riding lessons became all the horse shows. And from the horse show became buying my very first horse from my daughter and then buying my first horse stable. And then uh, today we have a a large horse stable. Uh, We do boarding out here and we have a physical therapy program for uh, children with disabilities.
2: Uh, that's that incredible. Runs,
1: uh, 10 lessons a week out of here. And that is just growing like wildfire. In addition to the lessons that my uh, oldest daughter teaches as well.
0: So. That's, that's incredible. I'm, uh, I'm assuming the answer to this question is a yes, but, uh, but are you a good writer yourself?
1: Uh, I do write.
0: Yes. That's awesome.
1: That's I mean, awesome. am I as good as my daughter? Oh, no. <laughs> God, no. <laughs> <laughs> but I can still stay on the top side and not fall to the bottom side. So we're okay there.
0: That's, that's incredible. Thanks for sharing that with us. It's, uh, you know, it's, uh, again, I am, I'm incredibly impressed with uh, with the work that you're doing. And I, and I truly hope that, you know, those who are able to give back find avenues uh, uh, to give back like, like you are. Let's, uh, let's, let's reminisce a little bit. I think it's kind of fun to, to go back in time uh, a little bit and start with your early career, right? And I, I find your early career so fascinating. So you went to school, you went to RIT and you graduated with a business degree. How was, how were you like in, uh, in, in, college?
1: So college was, was pretty brutal. I mean, you look at some of the colleges that are out there that are on a uh, semester system and, you know, you go for your, your, uh, fall semester and your spring semester. Mm-hmm. Well, RIT was on a, um, trimester program. So literally every 10 weeks we were changing our courses. Um, so almost a rapid fire machine gun as the way we went to school. Um, I, you know, I would come home at Christmas on the 19th or 20th of December, mm-hmm. and have to be back in school January 3rd. And all of my friends were going back to school at the end of January. And I'm like, <laughs> this this isn't fun, guys. <laughs> this, is, this bites. But hey, came out with a good degree and yeah. uh, got a career right out of college, which at the time, a lot of kids were struggling. It was yeah. not a great time coming out of college at that point. And I know we've had a couple repetitions of that over the years, um, you know, with the economy, but it was tough and I was lucky and blessed to get a, a job right out of school.
0: And what did you do? Um, I'm, I'm going to take a wild guess and say that back then you had no idea that you were going to be who you are today. And I could be wrong, but something tells me that, you know, being a senior sales leader was not necessarily your, your plan then, or am I wrong?
1: No, I think um, I knew I wanted to get in sales. Yeah. Um, you know, I was very competitive um, all the way through high school and college. Um, definitely sociable. You know, I was a bartender through college. I worked at some of the nightclubs in Rochester and um, had a lot of fun with it. So getting out there in front of people wasn't anything that I was scared of. Yeah. Um, but I got into um, sales and food service. Amazing. So this is where I had initially come into work with uh, Cisco Foods.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: I was very fortunate to get there. They only hired one New um salesperson a year right out of college, and I was fortunate enough to get that role and uh, join Cisco. And I won't even tell you what year, but many years. <laughs> <laughs> my uh,
0: my very first job was uh, was also in the restaurant business. Uh, I worked both at subway uh, that was my first job rolling sandwiches and uh, and also another restaurant and Cisco was the supplier at uh, at, at both the facilities and I was amazed at how down uh, pat that they had their supply chain. Uh, never missed a delivery. Everything was just, uh, you know, it hit the spot every time. How was, how was your first few years at Cisco? Um, what, what were you spending your time doing?
1: Well, I, was, um, I had a territory of uh, 40 clients throughout the area. They were restaurants, hospitals, manufacturing facilities, Um, Anywhere where food was being sold or provided to the guest, the client, or the patient, um, I was responsible for going in there and taking their weekly food orders. Mm -hmm. In addition, you know, hey, restaurants go out of business, we all know that. You have to be out there actively pursuing your next client, so always cold call canvassing and looking for new clients along the way. And uh, over the first three years, um, I was fortunate enough to have a really good mentor. Mm -hmm. And one of the very first things he said to me is, Keith, I'm going to tell you, you know, one thing that you should carry with you for the rest of your career and never promise a client anything that you're not personally willing to deliver. Don't make a promise that you can't deliver on. He says, if you can deliver on what you say, when you say it, your reputation will go through the, the roof. And I'll be honest with you, I've lived by that and I have done quite well. And I think if you look at my profile on LinkedIn, or you go back, one of the things that consistently people will say is mm-hmm. Keith delivers on what he says he's going to do when he says he's going to do it. That's the reputation that I want to carry with me.
0: You know, that's 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 incredible um, advice from your mentor, and you know, someone that's early on in their sales career, uh, and you know this more than anyone else. You have you have targets. Sometimes you have aggressive targets, and the temptation to try to sell something and say, I'll deal with the repercussions later, let me get a signed contract, that's very high, uh, especially if there's pressure from the Paris about, right? Where there's pressure from sales leaders. Is that something that you think um, is more in the domain of sales leadership or in the domain of an early career sales professional, right? Who should who should be responsible for ensuring that that doesn't happen?
1: That's a great question. And my um, youngest daughter just came out of college literally last year, went into um, advertising sales within Mm -hmm. the TV um, station here Mm -hmm. and spent a year doing it and absolutely hated it Mm. and her hating the sales career. She's a very outgoing person. She's also has bartending experience in her career. Yeah. She was the president for um, the Greek Council to the colleges she went to. Mm-hmm. So Again, we're talking about an individual who's not afraid to be out there. Mm-hmm. So for her to come out and say that she hates sales mm-hmm. is not a reflection of sales, but it's a reflection of the leaders. And I think as leaders, we hold the responsibility to train our team members that this is not about sales. This is about problem solving. Mm -hmm. We are supposed to be helping our clients solve the problems that they have in front of them. And I almost, to a point, hate the term sales anymore because it kind of gives a negative connotation to what we're really truly supposed to be doing out here. And if we're solving the problems of our clients, then the ability to close or convert sales or convert on a a deal is significantly higher. So from a, a leadership perspective, Mm-hmm. our responsibility is to educate our team members on how to ask those questions that dig in deep to what the customer's needs are and from there the sale will come out of that on the other end so if we're not doing a, a good enough job training our sales team members it's not their fault it's our fault
0: that's so really well we said
1: it's
0: really well said is that you know is that mindset why you've been a little more open and adventurous as a sales, sales leader because if you look at you know a lot of sales professionals they'll typically focus on on one thing right it will either be someone that spent a career in inside sales or a career in field sales or folks you know take the marketing angle and, and go about that but if if you look at you know your own self you've done it all and you've done it long enough within each company and you've you've, you've been able to do it well right it almost looks like you take a a, a more cohesive approach to finding a customer, and then delivering results all the way to tracking an NPS score uh, from them, right? And so you have a mix of field sales, inside sales, marketing, to some extent, uh, people ops, definitely un- underpinning all of this is a, a strong training uh, layer and a training program that you've built. Is your approach to sales the reason why you've been a little more adventurous Why is it that you've been open to saying, I'm going to explore all of it and I'm not going to treat sales as there's only one model of success. I'm going to stick to it.
1: Because I think that over the years that one of the things that I've learned early on is you don't know it all. Mm -hmm. You know, from my perspective, I will never know everything there is to know. And I'm always constantly exploring what's new out there. Mm. And I'm always open to listening to different leaders and their philosophies on it. You know, one of the things that I do every single week is I'm on LinkedIn connecting with 30, 40, 50 different people, and I'm asking them, I'll ask them a question, you know, mm-hmm. and I want to kind of hear feedback. And it's interesting to hear the dynamics of people that are open to sharing to those who are closed doors. And they, it's like they've got some secret recipe out there that nobody else is ever going <laughs> to learn. And I'm like, you're out of your mind. We've all learned it. <laughs> so I don't know what you're being so closed door about. But it's, it's those individuals who are open that I'm absorbing as much as I can from them.
2: Mm.
1: You know, and one of the other things that, you know, we often look at is from marketing and sales. You know, I look at it from the fact that we run, you know, in tandem together. Mm -hmm. And so for me to spend, you know, five years of my career as VP of marketing Mm -hmm. was for me to really dive in deep to what is all involved in there from creating everything that's behind the scenes, the content, to digital media and everything else that's associated with helping to drive the sales team forward,
2: mm-hmm.
1: by having an understanding and a layer of empathy for that, mm-hmm. it means that the next time I'm connecting with a marketing manager, it's a whole different conversation because I've sat in that chair.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, right? and so it's not me telling them how to do their job, but it's for us to have you know, an alliance together to talk about strategy and what's going to work for for both sides mm-hmm. so from the marketing side I'm sharing you know what's involved in the sales process and understanding what they're going through to try to help support us so that together we're working you know delivering a better uh, approach for our clients
0: yeah no that makes that makes a lot of sense and it, it sounds like you're you're open to learning um, absolutely constantly, and that hasn't changed to this day and you know something that's a little bit Something that I'm curious about in the theme of being open is the year 2000, when that was arguably the biggest dot com crash that you know I think we've seen in a long time. You decided to join Restaurant.com, which uh, you know is is an interesting move. It's a bold move. What was your thinking? What you know? How did that transition happen?
1: Have you never? opened up a dictionary and read the definition of insanity
2: <laughs> Is that,
1: you know, to a certain degree, my father was a senior exec at IBM and, yeah. you know, 30 years there, you know, leading their, um, research and design labs. And I call him on the phone and said, dad, I'm leaving Cisco who at that time was a, you know, three to $5 billion company growing rapidly. That's right. And he said, why? And I said, cause I need a new challenge.
0: Yeah. I
1: need something different. And mm-hmm. I walked into restaurant.com with zero clients.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, there was four of us, five of us sitting in a room. That was it. That was the entire restaurant.com. <laughs> and here we're going to start this organization and build it from the ground zero. Yeah. So tenacity was probably one of the most um, resounding themes I could, I could give anybody. It said, don't give up. And if you stay focused on, you know, what you want, you're going to get there. And so we grew from zero clients to 2012, we had 19,000 clients, zero revenue. We grew it to $66 million of revenue. It's incredible. I had zero team members. And by the time I left, I had a team of over a hundred. You know, and so you think of a hundred people on your staff and how mm-hmm. many people you've hired over a 12 year period that have succeeded and those that have failed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then grown that that ship, And I took people fresh out of college who then became my managers, who today are VPs of other organizations. To me, that is a resounding definition of success.
0: What was the what were some of the qualities right of these people? You know, and you've you've spent a you spent a decade at restaurant.com. And, and quite honestly, it takes that long to to grow a business from zero customers to to a point where you have sixty six million in revenue of all the people that you had hired uh, fresh out of college, what are some of the attributes that have made some special uh, than the rest?
1: Number one, positive attitude. Mm-hmm. Number two is competitive. Number three is the fact that they can communicate an idea or a thought process. Well, so if I'm asking you a question, keep your, your answer concise and on point to what I'm, I'm asking of you. Mm-hmm. And if you can really hit on all three of those things, I'll teach you the sales process. Mm -hmm. I'll teach you the product. I'll teach you how to you know to approach a client, but you have to have that internal drive. You have to be able to communicate well, and you have to have a positive attitude. The rest of it's easy.
0: And those are that's a good framework, and I think those are things that would serve you well in any career, whether it's sales or something else that uh, that people choose to do. What was the hardest part though of 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 building something from the ground up and sticking to it, uh, through thick and thin because 2000 tough time, 2008 another tough time, um, what was the hardest part of, of, of doing this?
1: Well, the beauty of what you mentioned there is tough time in 2000, tough time in 2008, but when the economy went negative, Mm -hmm. our business thrived because when the economy was tanking, we were, people were able to come to our site and buy a gift certificate at a discounted price to go try out new restaurants. So Mm -hmm. a $25 gift certificate might cost you $10. So when the economy's tough, people are looking for savings. So they were all coming, they were migrating in our direction. The other thing that happened, and as tragic as it was, was when 9-11 occurred, Mm -hmm. uh, we took 50% of our inventory, 50% of our available gift certificates, and we gave it to eBay. So that they could actually use that as the way to drive money for the families of those that were affected by 9/11. So we were on the front page of eBay for probably six to eight months. Mm -hmm. You know, as one of the largest donors to this charity that they were, um, that they had run, Mm -hmm. and so that gave us household brand recognition. And then out of that, you know, the rest of it. They talk about, you know, many books that we've read, but one called *The Tipping Point*. And I think that was the tipping point for restaurant.com where we went from, you know, a nice to have to a household recognized name. Mm -hmm. And then from that point going forward, we had to be very diligent to taking care of our customers being the restaurants, Mm -hmm. but equally so taking care of our customer, who was the consumer utilizing the gift certificates that could be applied to the restaurants. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, you know, it's, 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 it's interesting because that move to, um to partner up with ebay stems from a wanting to do good mindset right but it also seems to have um, a sound business reason and it seems to also have spurred the next level of growth for the business uh, there's a lot happening in, the, in in the restaurant industry today i live in 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 brooklyn and I've i've seen a lot of restaurants that i've you know, been very fond of shut down. What's, right. your, what's your take? I mean, you've, you've spent a while in this industry. Uh, it also looks like you owned and operated a restaurant at some point uh, yeah. in your past. Uh, you know I, know, I know this is kind of tangential to, to what we're discussing, but I'd love to kind of get your, uh, your thoughts on where do you see restaurants going in the next uh, six to 12 months?
1: Well, I think what we're, we're finding out um, rather quickly is those restaurants who were kind of forward-thinking and had online takeout delivery options on their sites and were utilizing that as a piece of their business mm-hmm. have been able to survive through this, this situation. And those who were kind of hesitant to ever putting an online ordering application onto their sites are the ones that are probably struggling the most. Um, so that's where I would start off. In, in terms of the overall restaurants, it's going to be tough. Yeah. I mean, when you're talking about a business that has low margin to begin with, mm-hmm. you know, you're talking three to 5% margin, and now you're telling them that they can only have 25% capacity or 50% capacity, it's nearly impossible to be able to break even at that point. Mm-hmm. So it it is going to be uh, interesting to watch how the restaurants come out of this, but I think it's unfortunate to say that we're probably gonna see a 25 to 30% fall off of the the restaurants that we've enjoyed.
0: Yeah, that's that's right. That seems to be just industry consensus, uh, especially in, you know, larger cities like New York, where rental costs uh, are already so high to begin with that margins are so much more tighter. Uh, And I and I hope that things get things get better. And I'm very sad for, you know, everything that's that's happening around, you know, but to your point, uh, it almost reminds me of the, uh, you know, the, the the blockbuster story, right? I mean, were you digitally forward when you could or were you basking in enjoy when business was great like were you thinking a year two years ahead unfortunately i think sometimes you know there's there's two types of um restaurants and i think that you could probably say the same thing about the sales right folks that just embrace this old school mentality they're doing well today but they have almost shut down for an idea of future where things could be different and then there are others uh, to your point where even to this state, you're looking to learn new things, and to the state, you're asking people uh, for things that you don't, you know, necessarily have an answer to. So I think it's an affliction that <laughs> yeah. that people face, and it's not just uh, not just restaurants. So lesson learned for uh, for everyone.
1: Well, and I I think you're spot on right there. It's not just restaurants; it's across all industries, all business verticals. That if you continuously live in the old school mindset of how you approach your marketing and your data and all of the things with the trends that are happening in the technology world, mm-hmm. you're going to be left in the rear view mirror. Yeah. And you have nobody else to blame but yourself. Mm-hmm. So you mm-hmm. asked the question earlier about one of the things that, you know, about me, it's always learning, mm-hmm. always keeping my eye on the future. And I had a uh, CEO say to me one time, there's a reason why jet planes don't have rear view mirrors. <laughs> Stop looking in the past or looking towards the future that's what's going to take you to the next level so.
0: that's that's a that's a that's a funny quote uh rather true uh, but along those lines, let me ask you a question It's hard to predict the future, but where do you think sales is going there? I see so much debate online about how people sell, and you know there's this there's one line of thought saying, oh just just cold calls don't work anymore and then there's another line of thought that says you, you got to pick up the phone. Younger sellers these days are just afraid of the phone. They're not you know, selling via phone call. Five years ago, uh, this whole idea of email automation was hot. You could just set up a sequence of emails and people would respond. But today I can sniff a you know, cold email that's got no thought, no effort put into it from a mile away. I look at it and I'm like, I'm on some nonsense drip. I'm not going to respond. Where do you think sales is going with all of this automation happening? Things that were innovative are now kind of old and stale. What's, what's your vision for how people should sell, you know, two years from now?
1: Well, think, think about what you just said to me about emails and I can sniff out, you know, if someone's trying to sell me or the client where the phone rings and it's a telemarketer and all of us have negativity towards telemarketers, right? Mm-hmm. So I think the first thing that we all have to be conscious of is that we have to be industry experts. We have to position ourselves as an expert within the area of subject matter. And one of the things that I use is a LinkedIn AI solution. So I'm delivering content out to a specific audience. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about user experience. And for example, one of the things that's happening today with telemedicine is, you know, think of telemedicine, which is now having to become a way of life. Mm-hmm and we have individuals who are 70, 80 years of age who are not the most proficient with a computer. Mm-hmm. Now they have to rely on this as a means for you know, seeing their doctor. Mm-hmm. So you know, from a perspective of where we sit with Miller Media 7, we have to make that user experience as easy as possible regardless of whether you're the 20 year old high proficiency with technology mm-hmm. or you're the 80 year old with low proficiency to technology. Both of them need to have the same level of experience to get online, identify with the doctor, and answer or resolve the problem that they have. So my answer to things today is I want to be the industry expert,
2: but
1: mm-hmm. so I'm going to share stories like I'm telling you now about you know, this 20-year-old and the 80-year-old so that the individual who's on the other side is thinking, is this something that we need to be looking at? hmm and if they say yes well then guess who they're coming to to answer that problem they're going to come to me
2: because
1: mm-hmm. i have positioned myself as knowledgeable and insightful of what's happening out there what are some of the pain points that people are dealing with so if you need these resolved come to us because we have a solution
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, that that makes sense so uh, i think it's in line with what some of the uh companies that are doing well today are doing right they are focusing quite a bit on good quality content, right? Where it's consultative in nature, informative in nature, it's less of a, here's my set of product features buy. Uh, It's more about guiding you towards thinking that you have a need or guiding you towards identifying that you have a problem and using thought leadership and industry knowledge as, know the 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 means of getting there so that that makes that makes so much so much sense and i mean i guess again to that point it also simply falls squarely on the sales leaders right because if you're graduating out of college and 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 we spend a lot of our time prepping and training early career sales professionals on sales and you can teach them sales process but as a 21 year old and let's say you're working for uh, a company that that sells back office finance automation software you may not have industry knowledge coming in and i think really falls squarely on the sales leaders to spend a little bit of time on teaching them why they exist as a business, what their customers pain points are, and really invest in that kind of training as opposed to just, just formal sales process training. Because that's, that's learnable, but that's not going to you know, make you an expert. So that makes so much sense.
1: Well, one of the things that I mandated as a VP of sales at Cisco or at Restaurant.com was that my managers were mm-hmm. in the field with my team members side by side. And when we went through a training process, yes, they came in through a classroom training and they, they spent a few weeks in house and we taught them all of the different company and in our approach to sales. But when they went out in the field, that manager was their mentor. So the first couple of days that manager would actually take them through the sales process and the manager would actually make those sales. Mm -hmm. The third day in the field, they would do it in tandem
2: Mm -hmm.
1: by the fourth and the fifth day the rep, the new rep would be out there making those, call, those uh, sales approaches on their own. But they're doing it at the guidance of the mentor. The mentor is not to jump in. he's not to, you know, to say a word while they're in that account. But mm-hmm. when they got back out into the car, they could you know, reference as to how that process went. Mm-hmm. And I think it's that education of show me, work with me, let me spread my wings mm-hmm. that has taken my team members you know, to the levels that they had. I mean i'm blasting I, I knock on wood and i smile a lot of times but think about it as a sales leader how many times over your career mm-hmm. you have hundred plus sales reps and every single one of them hit their quota and i did that four times within my career of every 100 plus reps hitting their career or hitting their uh, quotas and i attribute that to accountability it wasn't the sales reps total responsibility it was their manager's responsibility as much with the team member. So, if a team member was struggling that month on their quota, guess whose responsibility it was? Mm-hmm. Manager's responsibility to help that rep get across the line. Not pressure the rep to get it done. Get in the car and be with them, side by side, and fight that battle together. That's how you win. Pete,
0: okay, this is. Uh, I think you would fall in the minority of, uh, of folks that, that 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 takes this approach. Uh, I've read something online recently about people just endorsing a let's hire quickly and then fire quickly. Not everyone's going to pan out for early career sales professionals, right? And I don't really think that that's the right approach to take. And you know what, what you say reminds me of this book that I read, uh, and you might find this interesting. Uh, it's called Extreme Ownership. It was written by a Navy SEAL, Jocko Willink. And you know, really distilling the essentials of the book is is what you mentioned, right? Put the accountability on the leaders, put the accountability on the managers and everything else will, will flow through from there. So thank you for that. I hope more sales leaders, um, ascribe to what you shared. Uh, And I, and I think we'd see just a lot more happiness and a lot more success, uh, with, with this mindset.
1: Well, you think about how much do we invest in training somebody? And then what, what do we say to our clients or what do we say to the audience within the areas that we're trying to target as far as the, um, the client or the uh, the business if our company is seen as a company that has high turnover all the time. Mm-hmm. When you have consistency of a rep within a geographic market, you are going to own that market over time.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: word of mouth, reference, you know, taking care of the customers. That has a high resolution, it, you know, resignation to getting additional people to come on board. And I And I think what happens is that you know, this churn and burn fast, Mm -hmm. you get a reputation like that. Guess what happens when, you know, the next rep walks into that client and they said, you're the third person that's walked in from that company in the last, you know, two years. Mm -hmm. Get out. Mm -hmm. And I've heard it. And, you know, I've been there and smiled on my face when I've heard the client say that. So, yeah, if you don't invest in your team members, you're probably going to be one of those companies that have had high turnover and the businesses recognize that.
0: Yeah, yeah, words of wisdom. Uh, really, I think this is uh, this is important for folks to uh, understand, and 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 follow uh, in a disciplined manner. Uh, let me ask you one last question. You've been incredibly generous with your time, so I don't want to keep you here too long, but. Given that you have the benefit of hindsight and of all the experiences and lessons that you've learned professionally and personally, if you could go meet a version of yourself um, as a recent graduate at RIT and you could only share one piece of advice, uh, what would that be?
1: The One piece of advice that I would give to anybody getting in sales is stop selling. Start listening. Talk to your customers in a conversation and really understand what their true needs are. Because once you understand that, you truly understand what the need of the customer is and problems are faced, then you can align the right solution to fix the right problem. And things like price competitiveness goes out the door. Retention of your client goes through the roof. And follow up. Once you've delivered a product or a service or a solution to a client, stay engaged with that customer to make sure that what you've promised, what you told them they could do, is delivering against their expectations. And if you do that, you're gonna have a long-term, very happy, successful customer. The retention of your customer is the number one indicator of success in sales. If you go to another company and your clients follow you, guess what? Smile, because I've got it. When I've left one company, and moved to another, my customers follow and they come with me. To me, that's a that's success.
0: Incredible, incredible. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Keith, again for golden nuggets of uh, information and wisdom and for for those that are listening to this um and are contemplating a career in sales uh one key piece of advice is speak less listen more and uh, have a positive attitude and 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 just trust uh, trust the process this is uh This is Keith's advice to everyone. And once again, Keith, thank you so much for being incredibly generous with your time and uh, very much appreciate this.
1: Oh, very much. I appreciate you uh, having me today and uh, thank you again. So everyone have a great day. Thank you. Take care.